The Christian faith is so paradoxical in many ways. No other religion, no other philosophical thought, no any concept that you can think about anywhere in the world is as paradoxical or even close to it. It cannot compare to it. In fact, the very paradoxes of the Christian faith is what causes some people to stumble over it and causes some people to reject the faith. The fact that the God, the creator of the universe, can become man. And that is the greatest paradox of all. And from this paradox, all other paradoxes seem to stem and be born. For example, the Bible said that if you want to be strong, you have to surrender. That if you want power, you have to serve. That if you want happiness, you must be willing to mourn over your sin. That if you want to be fulfilled, you have to hunger for righteousness. That if you want to inherit the earth, you have to exercise meekness that is power under control. That if you want to live eternally, you have to die to self. And today we come to the tenth secret for the power of positive living. And we have seen nine secrets that the Apostle Paul revealed in 2 Corinthians, and we come to number 10, which is a paradox in itself. I'm calling it getting through giving. Imagine that. Like all paradoxes, this one runs contrary to the social and societal norms. It runs contrary to the natural mind. In our natural world, we are told that if you want to get you better grab everything you can get. We are told that if you want to get ahead, don't worry about how many people you step over in order to get to your destination. We are told that if you want to succeed, you better not help anybody else succeed. We are told that if you want to be rich, you better look out for number one. And on and on and on. And I was thinking about this this week, and I thought of a story that I read several years ago about the British ship, Britannica, that sunk at the coast of Brazil. Before the ship went down, in the hold of the ship, there were stored kegs that were filled with Spanish gold coins. And so, when the crew began to realize the ship is going down, so they went to the hold and they began to carry those kegs out on the deck. But then the vessel was breaking down too fast for them to be able to do anything but to abandon their efforts and to rush to the lifeboats. But just as the last one came off the boat, a young midshipman was sent back. They said, go back, just look, in case we left somebody behind. And so, sure enough, the young midshipman goes back and he looks and there is one of the crewmen sitting there with a barrel in front of him and a hatchet on the seat next to him. He had already broke a few of the kegs, and the gold coins were everywhere, surrounded by gold coins. And the midshipman said to him, said, what are you doing? Don't you know that this ship is going down? What are you doing? And the man said, listen to me. He said, it might be going down, but I have lived in poverty all of my life, and I'm determined to die rich. And he did. And that is the epitome 
of the way the natural mind operates. But beloved, listen to me. In the supernatural, is very different. In the supernatural, the Bible tells us that the secret for positive living is giving. That the secret for getting is giving. And if there is a foundational verse in this whole chapter, chapter 8, as we've been going through 2 Corinthians, if there is a foundational verse upon which chapter 8 is built, and part of chapter 9, it is verse 9. Verse 9, the Apostle Paul said, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, and yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. Everything in chapter 8 and part of chapter 9 hinges on that verse. Everything is built on verse 9. I wanted to hear me right. This is important. There are some people in the church of Jesus Christ who see giving as a drudgery. Some see giving as a duty. Some see giving as an obligation that you have to meet. Others view giving as a chore. But Jesus tells us that giving is that process by which we activate God's pipeline that brings His blessings to us. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus said, give and will be given to you. Listen carefully. He said, they will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard measure by which you give, it will be measured back to you in return. Now, most of you probably don't get that image as clear in your head as I do, because growing up in the Middle East, this is an image that you face every day. Every time you go to the market, you see somebody measuring grain, selling grain in a container. The Bible calls it an ephah. And you buy either an ephah, half an ephah, quarter of an ephah. So that's what Jesus is talking about. This is the measurement all grains particularly, was never weighed, always measured. And when you go and buy a grain from a merchant, if he is dishonest, what does he do? He takes off that bottom, and he puts in a false bottom, that is an extra part, padded bottom. Why would he take that off and then put it back on again? Because the average buyer is going to turn this thing upside down and want to see the stamp of the government approval. That is a legal measurement. But you look through that thing and you can't see that there's another bottom there padded inside in order to sell you less than what you're paying for. But if he's a generous person selling you the grain or whatever it is you're buying, he will put the grain in and then... He will shake it so then get all the air out. <laughs> and then he will press it. He can make sure all the air is out and more grain you got. And then he would heap it over. Not flat top, but all heaped over. And that's what Jesus is saying here. That's exactly what the measurement is all about. He says, by the measure that you measure, it will be measured back to you. Pressed down. Shaken over and is a lot more generous than you even think. 
What is Jesus saying here? Listen to me, beloved. Jesus is saying that giving and giving sacrificially is the very secret for activating God's giving back program. That generous giving results in greater getting from God. Beloved, it is impossible to outgive God. And remember this. If you have a false bottom in your measurement by which you give to God, it's going to be reflected in what you're getting. If your attitude of giving is begrudgingly out of duty, out of sense of a chore that you have to go through, that will be reflected in your receiving. If you try to trick God in thinking that you are a generous giver (laughs) when you're not, it will not work because God not only sees the quantity, He sees your heart. Ananias and Sapphira, in the book of Acts chapter 5, they thought they could trick God by tricking the apostles, and the Holy Spirit revealed their trick, and they both died on the spot. You see, there are some people who think, okay, well, the preacher said, if you give, I'll get. And you know, you hear people who really abuse the Scripture, and I'm not going to get into this. The preacher said, you give and get. So, what a deal. Man, this is a deal. I'll just give. And then they wait a day or two, (laughs) a week or two, a month or two, and nothing really happened. What happens? They get mad. They get mad at God. They get mad at the preacher. They get mad at the Bible. They get mad at the church. You said that if I give, I'll get. (laughs) What's wrong with this picture? What's wrong with this picture? God is looking for a lifestyle of hilarious giving. God is looking for a life habit of generous giving. God is looking for a joyful and not begrudging attitude in generous giving. God is looking for excitement and not regret in generous giving. Listen to me. Anyone who tries to see giving to God as using a machine in which you put a quarter in and you get a product out will be very, very disappointed. So let me tell you right now. It will be disappointed. Anyone who thinks the giving to God is like putting a quarter in those machines and you, know, you pull the lever and you go bing, 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 and then you kind of get all this stuff, what do you call that, uh, jackpot? That person is better off in Las Vegas than in the kingdom of God because it doesn't work that way. Paul tells the Corinthians about this tenth secret of positive living. He said that the Macedonians gave joyfully even in the midst of their trials, even in the midst of their tough circumstances, that the Macedonians' poverty may have limited the amount they could give, but it never diminished their love for giving, that the Macedonians understood what it means to lay treasures up in heaven. The Macedonians understood the greater joy that comes from giving than receiving, that the Macedonians' confidence was in the promise that God will supply all of their needs, that the Macedonians refused to allow their poverty to snuff out and smother their generosity. And Paul said, for that reason... They have become a role model for Christian giving. Question, 
Where did they learn this? Where did they get this idea of generous giving regardless of the circumstances they're going through? Well, from this key verse, verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. My beloved, listen. (laughs) Whenever there is love, it will manifest itself in sacrificial giving. You know, all of this talk by the celebrities about ending poverty in the world, it's all talk. (laughs) As long as they are sitting on their millions, giving a concert here and a concert there, it's all talk. (laughs) As long as they're sitting on their millions and they want the governments of the world to do it, they are all talk. The worldly rich who give few crumbs off their table get millions of dollars worth of publicity in return. It's all talk. Only true love gives and gives sacrificially until it hurts. Only the grace of God can give and give so to enrich others. For the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ caused him to give. Give what? A few dollars? No, he gave his all. He gave his own life. He gave his glory. He gave his power, his majesty. Let me ask you this. What motivated him? What motivated him? Pure and uninfluenced love. That's what motivated him. You know, had Jesus came from heaven and died on the cross for a group of perfect people who loved him, you would have said, well, he did this because they loved him first. But no, 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 no. He did this for people who were his enemies. He did this for people who were undeserving I know in my own life the times in my foolishness when I shook my fist at God. And yet God loved me and gave himself for me. Though he was rich. What does it mean, though he was rich? Was he some super millionaire who decided to give his fortune away? No, 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 no. Does it mean that he was materially rich and he gave up? Well, that he was and he is. He owns everything. He owns everything. Sometimes you think you own something. I got news for you. The money you have, the properties you have, everything you have, it's really his. Now, we fool ourselves in thinking it's ours, and we get puffed up with it. But listen, it's all his. He owns it all. But his wealth was measured also by his splendor. His wealth was also measured by his glory. His wealth was also measured by his supernatural power. His wealth was also measured in the fact that the God the Father, through him and by him, he created the whole universe. His wealth is also measured by his attributes. His wealth is also measured in terms of his eternity. Don't forget that Jesus had no beginning and he had no end. And 2 Corinthians 8, 9 is a verse that refutes all the heretical views about Jesus. Those who call Jesus a demigod, those who call Jesus Michael the archangel, those who call Jesus 
spirit created by God, those who call Jesus exalted man, they are all, all have failed miserably to realize that Jesus had no beginning, had no end. That Jesus is not a created being, but He is the Creator God. That Jesus is no ordinary man, but He is God of very God. That Jesus, though appeared in bodily form, but in Him, all of the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him bodily. He is over all. He is Jehovah, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He is Il Shaddai. He is yesterday, today, and forever. He is the ruler of the universe. He is the object of worship by all the intelligent created beings in the universe. He is the object of reverence. He is the object of love. He is the object of faith. He is the object of devotion. He is equal with the Father. He said that the Father and I are one. He said that he who has seen me, seen the Father. Jesus alone can forgive your sins, and Jesus alone can give you the Holy Spirit of God. Jesus and Jesus alone can raise you from the dead and make you live with Him for eternity in heaven. He is from age to age. He is Jesus. And that's a little bit of what Paul's trying to say here. That's a little bit. And yet, he gave up all his wealth. He gave all of his splendor, all of his power, all of his majesty for a period of time so that you and I and everyone who would come to him in brokenness and humility become rich. Become rich in mercy. Become rich in love. Become rich in kindness. Become rich in eternal life. Become rich in forgiveness. Become rich in joy and peace. Become rich in glory. Become rich in having all of your needs are met. You know, I've seen it a few times in my life when people inherit a few dollars. My goodness, they go hog wild. <laughs> I've seen it. I've seen it in three continents, as a matter of fact. Man, you can't even talk to them. They're they're blowing it. I mean, they're living high. Why? They inherited a little bit, a few dollars. And if they don't blow them away, their descendants will, one way or the other. i got news for you. Two generations from now, people won't know who you were. (laughs) But do you know what it means for God the Father? the Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, the God who created all the universes. Do you know what it means for you and me to have our names in His will to be inheritors? Do you know what that means? You know if your name is in Bill Gates' will, you know what it means? You'll get some probably stock on this company, the little company that he runs called uh, Microsoft, is it? You know, you get a few dollars. But do you know what it means for you to be named in the will of God of the universe, your name is already written in that will. What does that mean? It means that you will inherit all that Jesus will inherit. It means that you are co-heir with Christ. It means you'll inherit all of Jesus' wealth. You'll inherit all of Jesus' splendor. You're going to inherit all of Jesus' glory. Do you get it? And that is why 
this hilarious generosity of self-giving and self-emptying and sacrificial love should motivate everyone who loves Jesus to do what? To give freely, to give generously, to give hilariously, to give without counting. Sometimes it boggles my mind to see true Christians who have received so much of God's hand sitting on their hands and giving back the crumbs that fall off their table to the one who gave his all. I love Martin Luther, the great German theologian. He, he just has an ability to put things bluntly. I guess this is just, I like it that way. I love his German mind. He's, he said that there's any person who becomes a true disciple of Jesus, there has to be three conversions. There have to be the conversion of the mind, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the purse. Don't you love that? The first two we readily accept, but when it comes to the conversion of the purse, most people balk. And that is why Jesus talked more about the purse than any other subject except the kingdom of God. Why? Because he knew, the Lord of glory knew that we will trust him with our eternity, but somehow we will have difficulty trusting him to meet all of our needs. Today can be the day in which your purse can be converted because, beloved, I want to tell you, there is no power of positive living until you learn what it means to give and give and give and then give some more. Some of you defeated today, experiencing a defeated life, ask yourself, ask yourself, is your purse converted to Christ? My friend sent me a story a few weeks ago that I had to read it several times because it just tore me on the inside, and it really will illustrate what it means for the Lord of glory. Let me read it to you and listen very carefully as I conclude, because it is in the last sentence that you'll understand the point of this story. Here's how the story goes. After a few usual Sunday evening hymns, the church pastor slowly stood up, walked over to the pulpit, and before he gave his sermon for the evening, he briefly introduced a guest minister who was in the service that evening. In the introduction, the pastor told the congregation that the guest minister was one of his dearest childhood friends, and that he wanted him to have a few moments to greet the church and share whatever he felt appropriate for the service. With that, the elderly man stepped up into the pulpit, and he began to speak. He said, a father and his son and his son's friend were sailing off the Pacific coast when a fast approaching storm blocked any attempt to get back to the shore. The waves were so high that even though the father was an experienced sailor, he could not keep the boat 
upright. And the three of them were swept into the ocean, and the boat capsized. At that point of him telling the story, there were two teenagers sitting in the front pew who, for the first time, showed interest as they began to hear this story. So the aged man continued. He said, grabbing a rescue line, the father had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which boy would he throw the other end of the lifeline? He only had seconds to make the decision. And the father knew that his son was a Christian. He was a believer and he loved Jesus. But he also knew that his son's friend is not a Christian. The agony of his decision could not be matched by the torrent of waves. And the father yelled out, I love you, son. And he threw the lifeline to his son's friend. By the time the father had pulled the friend back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the raging swells into the black of midnight. His body was never recovered. Of course, by this time, the two teenagers who were sitting in the front were anxiously awaiting the next words that are coming out of this aged preacher. And the old man continued. He said, the father knew that his son would step into the eternity with Jesus. And he could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into eternity without Jesus. Therefore, he sacrificed his son to save his son's friend. How great is the love of God that he should do the same for us. Our heavenly Father, he said, sacrificed his only begotten son that we could be saved. I urge you to accept his offer to rescue you and to take hold of the lifeline that he's throwing out to you in this service. With that, the old man turned and went back down and sat in his chair, and silence filled the room. And the pastor again got up slowly to the pulpit and delivered a brief sermon with an invitation in the end. But no one responded to the invitation. No one responded to the appeal. Within minutes after the service ended, the two teenagers were immediately on the side of the old man. And one of them said politely, that was a nice story, but I don't think it was very realistic for the father to give up his only son's life in hopes that the other boy would become a Christian. And the old man looked at those precious boys and he said, well, you've got a point there, glancing at his worn Bible. And a big smile broadened his narrow face. And he once again looked at the boys and said, I'm sure isn't very realistic, is it? But I'm standing here today to tell you that this story gave me a glimpse, only a glimpse, of what it must have been like for God the Father to give up His Son for me. You see, I was that father.
And your pastor is my son's friend. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Shall we bow our heads in prayer? If there's somebody here who have never accepted this gracious invitation by the God who left everything so that you would have an opportunity to be reconciled to God the Father, today is your day. Today can be your spiritual birthday. And if you're a believer who have become hardened in your heart and living for self, and God the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, don't shun His voice. You see, it's between you and God. It has nothing to do with me, with anybody else. And if you have never accepted that invitation, say, Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you for dying on the cross for me so that my sins can be forgiven. I repent. I turn to you. If you're a person who have quenched the Holy Spirit in your life and become hardened, say, Lord Jesus, turn my hard heart, my stony heart into a heart of flesh. And that prayer is between you and God. Father, I thank you that you promised that whoever comes to you, you are no respecter of person, and that you'll receive and you'll accept, and you'll strengthen and you'll forgive. We thank you for your grace that is so abundant. And we bless you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.